Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning. Morning. I want to welcome you to Kesset. If you are brand new, my name is Danny and I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to introduce our holiday series, Tradition, Legend, and Lore. If you didn't grow up in a church that, that taught in these kinds of series, this might seem a little strange to you. And I, I just I want to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, over time, we as church people have really figured out recently that the Bible doesn't just teach us message. It also teaches us method. And we're going to talk today about the method that Jesus used to teach people. And that was really always around story. And so uh, church-wide, people have been starting to teach in series because it kind of maintains a consistent story throughout the Sundays. And so people feel like they uh, can follow along a little bit better. So that's sort of what we've been doing recently. The holidays specifically are a great time of year to do this because uh, holidays are something that everybody has to deal with, whether they love them or they hate them. They have, to, they have to face them because holidays are one big giant story. Uh, that's why we have the big debates about how soon can your Christmas tree go up because the Thanksgiving story, right, and the Christmas story have very, very solid stop and start dates, except for some of us who are like, nah, let's just merge them all together. And so story plays a very important way, place in our culture. And so this series is something that I've been really excited about for a long time, although I didn't know how I was going to teach it till just about a month ago. I have wanted to lean into the stories of the holiday season and really the whole art of storytelling as a whole in order to teach people and, and help people to see how often Jesus used that method in the Bible. He was a master storyteller. That's what he did. And so Our series is called Tradition, Legend, and Lore, and I'm going to give you the definitions of those because a lot of people have their own concepts, and I want to make sure you know the ones that I'm using and where they're coming from. But before I do that, I want to pray because the story we get to tell of Jesus Christ is, um, it's the most epic story, and he's the most epic storyteller. And today, all of you are living out your stories and your footprints, your situations, different things brought you into this room right now, and you don't really know it yet, maybe, especially if you're fairly new, but our living God, our Holy Spirit, the one who really uh, interacts with us here, uh, he's been preparing for you to be here for a long time. He has worked your story into this room, and your story is so very important to him. And so my prayer today is that you would, you would sense that, that you wouldn't be entertained or you, even educated. You would sense relationship. You would sense something more than just uh, being an audience member or, or, or being part of even a church. You would feel loved as uh, a really integral part of the great storyteller's uh, epic, because that's, that's what you are. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every person in this room, for the path that brought them here, whether it be incredibly straight or, or incredibly winding. Lord, you know the ups and downs. You know the things that have been faced. You know the quiet moments, the dark moments, the, the high moments, the light moments. And you know about this moment. And so I ask, Lord, that any distractions that were brought in with us, anything that could keep us from really hearing from you, from, 
from receiving from you that, uh, that God, that would be removed, that the room would get small and that you would get big and that our hearts would be opened to the next steps you have for all of our stories. I thank you and I, uh, I just rest inside your presence now. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with uh, definitions. The words are really uh, synonyms for each other, the way that we're using them, tradition, legend, and lore. The first word, tradition, is pretty straightforward. It's the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. Uh, This is pretty easy for us to understand, especially when it comes to holidays, because all of us in this room have different family Christmas traditions that we pass down. (laughs) It's a more complicated word than you might think. So uh, traditions that we pass down uh, from person to person, whether that be when you open Christmas presents. For instance, uh, when you have adult children that start to form families of their own, one of those things that has to be discussed are the traditions. Well, do they open Christmas presents Christmas morning? Do we open Christmas presents Christmas Eve morning? What happens to Christmas dinner? Like traditions are a big part of our holiday season, and they're a big part of what we are, and they're actually a really, really significant part of God's word, and the way that he uses them is beautiful, so we'll look into that. The next one is legend. Legend is a little different than tradition, because legends are, 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 are kind of bigger than normal tales. They're a traditional story, sometimes popularly regarded as historical, but unauthenticated. So you might have the legend of Uncle Larry and the, the things that, that he did and the, and, 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 and uh, you know, so let me tell you a quick legend story, okay? Because I, the reason I love this particular series is because um, I love storytelling. As a matter of fact, it took me five years of terrible preaching to figure out I couldn't preach like other people. I just had to stay in my lane and tell stories. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. And uh, we have a good solid nine o'clock recorded, so we're just going to see where this service goes. But... <laughs> Uh, When I was about 12 years old, I was babysitting for the first time, and we had a roundabout, a house that had a big, a big (laughs) U-shaped roundabout. And my dad sat me down, and he said, son, mom and I are going out. It's very September babysitting, but we're going all the way to Portland. So if you need anything, your Uncle Dave and your Aunt Diane live right down the road. Okay, now my Uncle Dave's the guy who was leading worship up here, the, the, the fairly thick guy that was leading worship up here. And so I felt pretty confident about that. I was like, okay, cool, I can call Uncle. So we went down into our basement, and uh, we, I was, I was, uh, we had like, a, like a, one of those front room, sunken front room basements downstairs, and we heard walking upstairs, unlike we've ever heard before. And I knew someone had broken into our house. Now, unbeknownst to me, and because I'm telling the short version of this story, uh, my dad had actually found out that we had some mice and probably even maybe some rats at the time that lived between our floors, and they had stolen some of his shoes and a can and a bunch of other stuff, and he was dealing with that, but he didn't tell me that. So all I heard was somebody walking in between the floors, and I was panicked, and so I got my BB gun, and I pumped it not 10, but 12 times, and you, you, you in the room, you can't go over 10, but, but you can if you're scared for your life, and I called my Uncle Dave. And my Uncle Dave answered the phone, and he was panting fairly heavily because he worked out, like, always. And he said, what's going on? I said, Uncle Dave, somebody's in the house. And you can hear my brothers and sisters crying. And he goes, what? And I said, they're in the house. And they heard another stomp on the floor. And my sisters perfectly on time screamed, ah, right? And he's like, I'll be right there, right? So I 
I hung up the phone, right? And I pushed the couch over all, I don't know why, but I pushed it over and I got all my brothers and sisters facing the door and I waited with my gun aimed and towards the house for my uncle to come down the driveway. And this is exactly what happened in my 12 year old brain. He had a gray Astro van and he came piling down our U-shaped driveway and I opened the door and all of us looked out and his lights slid across the front of the house as he slid sideways and he stepped out. This absolutely, you, I, have, I have proof in sibling eyes. He stepped out with a shotgun. He had two shells in his mouth, right? <laughs> he had these little tiny shorts and this... And this black, and this black, really tight, like, like workout shirt, and he was shiny. And he got out, and he goes, get in the car! <laughs> so I backed out of the house, right? Backed out. We all got in the van, and we didn't even get seated. No seatbelts. He just took off driving backwards with his gun out of the car, <laughs> took us to his house, and Diane made us ice cream, and we've been fine ever since. <laughs> this actually happened, and now... Uh, now, he'll debate a few of the elements, but not many of them, if you really ask him. Not many. But I'm only here today because my life was saved from those shoe-wearing rats. That's, that, that, so you know, in our family, is the legend of Uncle Dave. Okay, that's why legend's important. All right, lore. <laughs> I told you, we're just going to spin this one. We got a 9 o'clock in the book, so we'll see what happens. Lore, a body of traditions. It's a body of traditions and knowledge on a subject or held by a particular group, typically passed from person to person by word of mouth. Lore is not always dark. A lot of people try to think of it as a, as a dark, superstitious thing. Lore is, is just a body of work that's passed verbally from family group to family group. Now, these things are important, and they're important to help us uh, discover the importance of why we celebrate what we do the way we do. Our tradition, legend, and lore are big parts of who we are. And even if you didn't have these words, you have tradition, legend, and lore in your story. You just do. You have things. You have, you have things that are a little exaggerated. You have things that you don't talk about. You have things that get brought up every family gathering. These are your tradition, legends, and lore. These words are all really descriptions for what you just experienced, which is storytelling. This series, at its core, is about storytelling. And the reason it's so important is because it is clearly the way in which Jesus related who he was and how he loved us. Jesus is arguably the most powerful of all storytellers. He taught in things called parables. It has been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An introductory definition of parable, which I like even better, is a story that never happened but always does. These are parables. So people have asked, and it's really kind of up for debate, did the stories that Jesus happened really happen? Was he really telling stories about something that happened, or was he trying to drive home a point by making it bigger than anything else you'd ever heard, so that from then on, every time that particular thing came up, you remembered what Jesus taught you and its impact? Most claim that Jesus taught at least 33 parables, 60 if you include his proverbial expressions, the things that he related to in the Proverbs that really were little touch points on further stories that people during this time would have known. He shared through common everyday themes like the sower and the seeds, the good Samaritan, the rich fool, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, laborers in the vineyard, 
or things like the wedding banquet. These were all stories that when he said the phrase, no one in the room was going, what's a wedding banquet? What do you mean uh, laborers and vineyards? What do you mean rich young fool? People understood the context and he used that context. He used their tradition, their legend, and their lore to drive home powerful aspects. He used it to highlight for them their experiences. Jesus, in this way, taught us how to see what to emphasize, and also what could be de-emphasized or ignored. Jesus himself is our, and I used this word differently earlier, hermeneutic or method. He's teaching us. So there's a time when Jesus comes and all the lawgivers are abiding by the old law, the law of, of Moses, and Jesus comes and he goes, yeah, yeah, that's true, but this, and he shares a story that kind of kind of uh, uh, spreads wide and, and, and opens up the law of Moses so that it can be seen from a different perspective. So he de-emphasizes one point and overemphasizes another all through storytelling. He is our method. He is our hermeneutic. That's why it's been said the Bible just doesn't bring us the message. It brings us the method. We don't just read it and go, this is what the words are. We actually read how the words are. And that's why we teach in series. That's why we present the way we do, because the method of Christ so many times is story or color-driven. Jesus shows us a clear way to approach our faith, and that way oftentimes, not all times, but oftentimes is through the method of storytelling. Within his stories, Jesus often uses three primary elements, and I want to give you those so that you can use them throughout this series, because every week we're going to take a different story, and this is going to be unique in this series, and, and I'm, I'll expand on it so you don't have to fully buy in or buy out now, but not every single week of this series is going to be a Bible story. There's some really powerful fairy tales out there. There's some really powerful lore that actually points back to God in very specific ways if you understand it. And we're going to talk about that, always relating it back to the Bible, but, but starting with some of these traditions that we, that we do, some of these things that we hold dear, and really looking at why do we do them and how do we celebrate in a holy way. Uh, these three things that Jesus does, these three primary elements he uses are scripture, tradition, and experience. These are his three primary movements within his story, scripture, tradition, and and experience. And each of these inform us in a little bit different way, but all of us can relate to them. We'll start with the first one, scripture. Scripture brings us a purpose and guidance. It brings us purpose and guidance. So it's kind of the roadmap. It sort of, it sort of lines out uh, where we're going to go and, and what we're going to accomplish. And it kind of defines for us the audience also in some ways. And so Jesus generally, all his stories are pointing back to scripture, which then of course point toward God, who is the definer of humanity, for he is the creator, the giver, and the great taker awayer. Scripture brings us purpose and guidance. Let's start off with a really simple parable. I mentioned it earlier, the sower and the seeds. Jesus is being followed by people who want to be taught by him. And so he looks out over the crowd, which is a crowd always of fairly common faces. They're not all church people. They're not all educated people. They're not all poor people. They're a crowd of, of everyday people in, uh, in, the, in the Middle East area of time. And they are of the world and of that time frame. And he sees them and he decides he's going to tell a story. And so he steps out into a boat. It's like a little stage. Now, for you to really understand this, 
this is only, this is how I tell stories and this is how I read the Bible. You have to first understand what they told you as Jesus stepped out into a boat, which means there's a boat pulled up partway onto the shore. So he steps out in it and I think it kind of rocks back and forth just a little bit. And there's water lapping against each side of the boat. And the disciples, maybe they sit down first to to signify to everybody there it's time to sit down because Jesus is going to tell us a story. So slowly through the crowd, people start sitting down. And you hear a baby cry in the distance. And in my particular story, there's a chicken that won't leave somebody alone. (laughs) Because it's my story. Jesus sits there. He looks out of the crowd. And the first thing he does is say something that makes everybody on the same playing field. He says this phrase, and he told them many things in parables, and he starts off with this phrase, a sower went out to sow. He doesn't say a rabbi walked into a temple, because a majority of these people have never been in a temple, nor do they understand uh, a way a rabbi understands. He also doesn't say there was an incredibly, incredibly broken and poor man, because not everybody in this particular audience is incredibly broken and poor. He just says a sower went out to sow, and everybody here knows what it means to farm. They know what it means to sow fields. They know what it means to experience this. And so the first thing that he does is he attaches the story to every single person in the room. And what he's telling them is this story is for you because everyone sows something. Every person in this room sows something. You're where you're at today because of the seeds that you've sowed or didn't sow. You're where you're at today because of seeds other people should have sowed or didn't sow. Seeds are a common language within the human element of storytelling. And these people, even more than these people, I probably wouldn't start off a sermon today with a sower went out to sow because there's not, a, not everybody in here gardens, right? And I, hardly anybody in here farms. I would be like, and someone went to the vegetable aisle and took a cucumber from the... <laughs> From the spray, like, oh, okay, okay, well, I got this, right? That would be how we would tell the story, but Jesus is the one telling it. So a sower went out to sow, and what he's saying is everyone sows something, and he's proclaiming that God places a measure of personal responsibility upon each person he created just by letting them know you're all sowers, you all sow seeds, every person in here this story's for, and then he moves on. And he dives right into tradition. Tradition brings us unity and togetherness. Tradition doesn't just, uh, uh, like we all probably celebrate Christmas, most of us here. But tra- and so that's our, that's our original uh, scripture, right? Like we, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas. That's our scripture. That's our platform. That's, our, that's the, the pasture that's been fenced that we live within. But the actual tradition is how we each celebrate Christmas. It's all different. The tradition is all different. And so Jesus says to them in his parables, he starts bringing them deeper and describes, you all sow, but how you sow is all going to be different. And this is what he says. And as this sower sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth. Of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, 
everyone in the room knows that he's talking about each of them. He then describes multiple different life paths, multiple different life uh, uh, purposes, multiple different processes of decision-making. Some people planted seeds where the birds could get them. Some people planted seeds in shallow soil. Some people planted seeds in rocky soil. And some people took time and they planted seeds exactly how they were supposed to be planted. And then he adds this little caveat, which I'll just shove on you and let you process, but this little caveat is they did the right thing the right way, and, they, and these people each also had different crops, some 100, some 60, some 30. Now, just that right there is a beautiful element for those of us in the room who feel like we've made pretty good choices over life, but still don't have what our neighbors have, or tragedy still happened to us. We did all the right things, but we still didn't get the, the, the hundredfold crop like my friend over here. My crop's barely 30, and sometimes I feel like it's because I didn't make the right choices. According to Jesus, that's not true. But some of us, we've lived our lives in the rocky areas. Or we lived our lives in the shallow dirt. We planted our seeds, and we sprung up, and we showed up, and we told everybody how good God is, and then a few little storms came, and we just washed out. And some of us... Through trauma or other experiences, birds came and ate all our hopes and dreams. And we've refused to recognize that we're still supposed to sow anyways. Just this little story, just this little bit of tradition causes you and all those people listening to the water lap up against the boat and the chicken peck for bugs off in the corner. It caused all those ears throughout time to suddenly reflect through the power of story on what scripture was saying about the traditional way they live their lives, about the steps they take, the job they should have, the marriage they're focused on, the life, the person they should be, all the things they imagine in their head that, that, that I'm going I'm to exist as this traditional person. And then Jesus goes, man, are you? And he does it all with seeds. He hasn't even quoted a verse yet. He just does it all with seeds. And it's all because of his love that he ends the whole thing with experience. For experience brings us insight and emotion. And this is when Jesus, I, I, this is just how I imagine it, but I always imagine it, like if he could have a microphone today, he would just drop it with this last phrase because the last thing he says is, he who has ears, let him hear. You know, in, in, in this day and age, I imagine it being like, he who has ears, let him hear. And he just rose out into the water, right? I just, like, that'd be cool too, but I just, but I mean, I just, I just, I, it's like this big emotional, like, like, you're not going to give me more than that? Nope. Because if you want to understand how God works, then you have to first decide that you're a sower, which you are, and second, that you have choices and responsibilities to make around how you sow your life, which you do. And the last thing you have to do is decide how much you want to feel it. Because if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to let it sink into your, to the, the ears on your heart, right, the ears in your mind, if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to draw it into your life, then you end up missing the entire point anyways. And so he ends it with, he who has ears, let him hear. And they're not physical ears, they're spiritual ears. This is the same idea around he who has eyes to see, let him see. They're looking at him half the time he's saying it. They're listening to him while he's saying it. He is driving the experience point. And this is going to mess some people up inside this series because we're going to lean into this whole experience idea because experience is an often misunderstood part of what it means to follow God. Most of the time, we just lean into the scripture, right? We just lean into the scripture. Of the three things that Jesus has, we lean into the scripture and we go, well, if the Bible says it, it must be true. And of course, it is. 
And then all of a sudden we read a verse in the Bible that tells us how to own people. And then we're like, oh. And a friend goes, hey, you have like a bunch of verses in here about slavery. And you're like, well, yep, you know, I just don't read those parts. Now, now, Scripture is one thing. Then you filter it through the traditional aspect, right? Well, slavery's okay at this day and age, but now it starts to, to get out of fad. Now, tradition is another thing that we do pretty well with, with the Bible, because traditionally we do communion, we do baptism. And for a long time, we used to buy people, literally buy people. I keep bringing this up because I just it's just where I'm at. And hand them a Bible to make sure they knew that God wanted them to be owned by me. So suddenly that tradition fades away, just like slowly the different traditions around our holidays fade away. But scripture stays solid. It is the experience piece, the Holy Spirit moving, the part that drove your stories here today. This is the piece that we don't highlight and so why we as Christ followers make so many mistakes. Because we don't remember that Jesus came and taught through story to drive up experience, to allow people to realize the things of Moses, these things over here, these things have passed. Look at all these beautiful things I've come to complete and the the people who are the law keepers and the gatekeepers and the line drawers the religious people they're the ones that say no 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 Moses wrote it and God gave him the words and Jesus is like yeah I know I was there and I'm going to fulfill that stuff but can you open your eyes can you open your ears these are incredibly experience-based phrases see with your eyes Hear with your ears what is happening in the world around you. That's exactly what happened at that abolished the slave movement. Is people went, it does say it here, but the Holy Spirit is letting me know that I don't feel like from experience we should probably own people. And then the tradition slowly starts being changed. And next thing you know, we're moving on. And it's a part of the book that gets brought up with people that don't want to come to church or a part we skip, when instead we're supposed to go, what are you talking about? Scripture's beautiful. Tradition is helpful, and experience is really, really important. We need to get into this idea that we are supposed to experience the things of the Lord, and that's why stories and the method of Jesus are so very important. They're critical to him and his essence, because they are what he's passed down for us, not just his words, but his method. This is the beautiful thing that experience does. It brings us insight and emotion, and we can feel it. And if it comes with scripture, everyone sows something, and tradition, that's everyone makes choices. You're going to live how you want. With experience, everyone uh, gets to respond. Everyone gets to say, how do I feel about that? What does that mean for me? How do I connect with that? The power of this little story that I've read you today lies in its ability to take a simple everyday seed and transform it into one of the best known illustrations for the way we as people live our lives, and it's lasted over 2,000 years. How many people have been in a sermon where the pastor gave everyone a mustard seed? Yeah, you can raise your hand because I know it's true. You're like, "Uh, it was you actually, yeah, it probably was. (laughs) We're not doing that today. But that sermon is still preached because the story resonated so well over all those traditions and through all those different scriptures, the feeling of that little seed being planted and growing into something more remained. I'll share with you another story. And this time I'll use a prop. That way uh, I can drive home the point 
of just how these uh, props work. This is a Safeway bag. It's an incredible prop, I know. You'll see. It's a lowly Safeway bag. Inside this Safeway bag are cinnamon roll containers. These, these are mine. These are not yours, so don't ask for them after church, okay? This little Safeway bag, I'm going to transform into you, transform to you today into something that I believe for a very long time, if not the rest of your life, every time you buy cinnamon rolls, specifically at Safeway, or you see someone bag a bag like this, you'll remember this story, you'll remember me, and you'll have a feeling that I think will cause you to smile. Three weeks ago or so, uh, my family and I were living out one of our constant family traditions. And that is that when things get really hard, when things get really difficult, and as some of you know, uh, our family's been going through a pretty rough grieving process the last uh, three and a half weeks or so with the passing of my father. And my daughter, Elena, who's 15, it's a picture of her. She knew exactly what our family tradition would be during this. And that would be we would start a, a, a fire in our wood stove, whether it was summer or winter, didn't matter. If we were hurting, this is what we do. We would find a movie that none of us really cared about that much so we could talk during it the whole time. And we would go to Safeway and get cinnamon rolls. That's what we would do. And so we ran around some appointments, and we were on our way back home, and Elena said, Dad, can we, can we get cinnamon rolls tonight? And Aaron and I knew right away, yeah, we can do that. So I pulled up Safeway, and I dropped Aaron off, and I dropped Elena off, and they went inside, and I parked so I could see them come out the door when it was time, and I returned some emails and did some work, and they did a little bit of shopping, and then eventually they came out. I pulled up to the front of the store, which is our tradition. It's the way we do it. And Lainey uh, got in the back seat, right, threw her cinnamon rolls in. Aaron walked around the front, got in the front seat, and we took off. Uh, Lainey doesn't really talk much when we drive, so that's fine, but she was messing with the bag the whole time. I, she had her headphones in, so I didn't say anything, so I thought. And so she's messing with the bag, and uh, I'm talking with Aaron, and we get about 15 minutes from Safeway, and Aaron goes, I don't understand. Why is this, this number keeps calling me? And she, I think she Googled the number, and she was like, oh, it's Battleground Safeway. And I was like, oh, come on. Did you leave your purse there, your wallet there? She's like, no, I don't think so. And so the number's calling, and she's dismissing it, and she's looking. And she, I said, what about your card? And she goes, oh, okay. And she looks for the card. And so she, I go, I don't know. If it calls again, I guess she'll have to answer it. So it calls like the seventh or eighth time. And we're like, I don't know, 17, 18 minutes away from Safeway at this time. So I'm glad at least they found whatever we had lost. Aaron answers the phone. I'll never forget this moment. We're driving. I hear the bag in the back seat. Lainey's clearly going through the cinnamon roll bag and whatever else. Aaron answers the phone, hello. And she goes, what? Huh? And she goes, Elena? And I look in the back, and there is no daughter in the back seat. There is nothing but an empty cinnamon roll bag just blowing in the wind. <laughs> it was like she was raptured and we were forgotten. I mean, it was gone. She's just gone. And so we whip around. She's on the phone. I'm humiliated, right, you know? <laughs> and so I pull up to the parking lot. Aaron gets out. She goes inside. Lainey comes out. She's looking at me all upset, right? She gets in the back seat. She goes, Dad, why did you do that? I go, what? You got in the car. She goes, Dad, Mom went around the front. I opened the door. I threw in the cinnamon rolls, shut the door. I walked around the back of the car, and you drove off. She said, at first I laughed out loud. There were people watching like, ha ha, dad, like one of those joke dad things. She goes, I, next thing you know, she said, I'm chasing you full sprint. Dad, dad, all the way down to the main street. 
She goes, I had to go inside and talk to some kid my age who was bagging groceries and ask him to use his phone, right? Which he wouldn't let me, so she had to use the Safeway phone. And he said to her, man, your parents must have been upset at you. We apologized profusely, and she hasn't let me forget it since. Now, the next time you go get cinnamon rolls, the next time you see a black or a brown plastic Safeway bag, the power of that story will drive you emotionally. You will not forget it. You will remember it. Just like the Uncle Dave story. There's a bunch of people in here who've been waiting for me to tell the Uncle Dave story because I used to tell it at the other church, right? It's become tradition. A bunch of people, I saw your faces and I'm so impressed because you didn't give away anything. I was like, so my Uncle Dave, they were like, ah. Like, I thought for sure they were going to be like, ha ha, but they didn't. You let the whole audience experience it because you knew what the emotion was that was coming. You could see it. You could feel it. This is the power of story. This is the power of the method of Jesus. He gave us seeds and he gave us a, a rye wedding feast and he gave us lost sheep. There's nothing holy about sheep. Nothing. Jesus just said, it's like this. And now we see sheep and we're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, it's just amazing. It's so true. How many people have a sheep necklace on right now? You, can, you, don't, you don't have to, but it's true. You got a sheep necklace or a sheep tattoo or a sheep bookmark, right? You, it's just the power of story and how it works to drive us. This is where, this is where the series really finds its sweet spot because it lies in its ability to turn a plastic bag into something more. And if you're willing to travel with me for the next eight weeks, my hope is that those of you in the room, and it's, I think it's more than, way more than half, we all live this experience less spirituality because we've been taught it's all about the fundamentals. It's about scripture and the sacraments or the traditions. It's only about these things. And anything we've experienced is like, oh, you can't trust your emotions. You can't trust how you feel. But then the holidays come around and we love it. We like, oh, like we got the, we got the, you know, the, the, the cinnamon scented pine cones and you got the candy and you got, I mean, do you really think it's about the gingerbread cookies? Do you really think it's about the tree that you put up in the front of your house? Do you really think it's about any of these things. It's about the emotion these things bring you. It's about the tradition that you know it's coming, the anticipation, and it's about the beauty of how the emotions and the tradition, right, it's how the experience and the tradition tie back into the scripture. That's what holidays or holy days are supposed to be about. And that's the beauty of storytelling. And here's the most important part that I hope you awaken within the series because the most powerful story you're ever gonna tell will be your own. It'll be the coffee shop talks you have about the legends in your life, the uncles in your life. It'll be about the traditions you have and the, and, and the stories that the way that God has used your life. You will minister to people if you start to value story around you. It will naturally start to value story within you. And that is how the Holy Spirit then comes alive to use your story to minister to other people through the method of story, which means when people pick up the Bible and they found Jesus through story, they go, oh, I get this. There was a wedding feast. Still today. Oh, I know what sheep are. Because the power of story touched them through your life because you valued story, and so suddenly the stories of the Bible become real 
and important. This is the more that we're talking about. And for some, it'll be the most difficult part. Between scripture, tradition, and experience, it'll be the experience, the more, that'll be the most difficult because you love scripture or you don't understand scripture, so you don't really, it's just you accept it as it is. And tradition we're pretty familiar with, it'll be the experience of more that will be most difficult. But this is why we do this. This is why it's important. Uh, over the last few weeks, lots of people have sent lots of gifts and given lots of things, uh, and lots of hugs, lots of just, it's been an amazing thing, but I'm not sure anything has had quite the impact that this silly cartoon book did that was given to me by a man I know who loves me called Tear Soup. And uh, if you've never read this book, it's, a, it's a literally written like a cartoon, like a, like a children's book, and it's all about grief and loss. Uh, we're going to do this, I think, in the springtime. We're going to do this as a whole series, um, as a whole church. And so, um, but this was something that was passed down to me to help me. And here's the most amazing thing about the experience, scripture, and tradition piece that's going on in my life right now. Um, I've never been through anything like this. And although I could probably get pretty heady about, about, about reaching out to certain people or, or certain books about how to grieve well and lead my family... This cartoon book just hit a need in me, and so I went home just a few days after we got settled in after, uh, after uh, dad had passed, and I sat down with my girls, my two girls and my uh, wife, and I said, hey, I, I got this book. I, don't, I heard it's supposed to help, and they sat all three across from me, and I just opened it and read it like I was a kindergarten teacher, <laughs> and we sobbed the entire time. And now do you know what's so beautiful about that is that I promise you right now that my daughters will read this book to their children. This will be our grief tradition. They'll read this book when I pass. They'll think of dad. They'll think of mom. This is now a new tradition, a new part of our family's lore because of the emotions that, and the experience that we had around it. I bought 10 of them. I gave them to my siblings. I gave uh, some to my staff. This one's actually Alyssa. She had it with her like in her backpack. <laughs> like I was like, I mentioned this book last service. She goes, here's mine. I was like, oh, okay. This, so like, I mean, I've, this, is, this is now becoming a tradition. And so that's why we'll do a series uh, around it later on. But my point was, it's because of the emotion and because of the experience. It's because of the more. This is what the series is about. And my hope is that you dive into it neck deep, that you experience your holidays completely different than you ever have. I want to say, too, there's some white cards on your seats. Those are so that we can hear from you, any of your family's traditions, especially around the holidays, any of your family's experiences. Make sure they're the unique ones or the quirky ones. You can turn those into the offering boxes in the back. Like if you, I'm not going to write down that you set up a Christmas tree every year, but if you set up a Christmas tree in your front room and start it on fire, I'll write that down. I mean, that's totally unique and different. But we want to hear from you guys, and we'll talk about them every week. They can be anonymous, but any family traditions, anything like that, that that you've started, we'd love to hear from you. I want to give you one closing quote, and then I'm going to ask you to spend just three or four minutes uh, listening to a song I'm going to have sang over you. Uh, the quote is this, when it comes to comprehending or experiencing God and the great mysteries of love and death, knowing has to be balanced by unknowing. Words can only point a finger toward the moon. They are not the moon or even its light. They are that by which we begin to see the moon and its light. I believe the Bible speaks even more simply 
when it says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. My hope is that during this series you awaken to the beauty of the traditions you already have, to the lore you're already sharing, and that you get to evaluate some of it that's unhealthy, keep some of it that is healthy, create some of it that's new, and understand more and more about the traditions in this book and through the Holy Spirit that make us and cause us and drive us to feel and experience who God is because I think there is so much more to our faith than just reading about it. We get to live it. We get to remember it. We get to be it to this world, and that's what they want to know. And a lot of you have a lot of incredible stories to tell, and my greatest hope is that through this series, your own story gets raised. It becomes more emboldened, and that you begin to share just a bit more of who you are, how beautifully broken just as you are, just like me, and how God wants to use you so that other people can share their stories too. This song that the worship team's gonna sing over you is the one I've been listening to this week. It's my gift to you. I hope that God continues to, to cause my eyes to awaken and see him in all things, even when I feel low or sad or lonely. And so I hope you can sit in your seat and ask him, all right, Lord, what do you wanna do with my story? I'm ready. Let's create some tradition, legend, and lore. Heavenly Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for this season that you've brought us into. We know that you are providing all the answers, even to the questions we haven't asked yet. I know there's people in this room that are walking out such huge pieces of their story, big things that they don't even know how to, uh, how to balance, but God, you do. And so my hope is as we just sit for the, a, a few minutes that we just can receive from your Holy Spirit this uh, incredible welcoming, this welcoming into the telling of our stories, into the uh, experiencing of your love, into the scripture and how alive it is, into the tradition making that you want to lay before us. Thank you, God, so much. Thank you for this time. We just rest in your presence now, in Jesus' name.